on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a break from the hellscape of COVID, fuel shortages and gas price rises in modern Britain to go back to a simpler time, retiring as we are to the bucolic ideal of rural 1950s Kent for the Larkins on ITV. We're also catapulting ourselves into the stratosphere for space documentary Among the Stars on Disney Plus before crashing back down to earth for a tense thriller about domestic abuse with Joanne Froggart and Michael Husman in ITV's Angela Black. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that feels like it only just finished recording last week's episode, given the monstrous, monstrous runtime of that one. Uh, Fun fact, at two hours and 40 minutes, it was only three minutes shorter than the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, and produced on much the same budget. Uh, But while I am obviously loath to add even more of our blathering to your ever-growing playlists, uh, we are once again back in your ears to whisper sweet TV nothings uh, and adding their velvety tones to my own are as ever the other two legs in the pilot TV tripod Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb hello how are we feeling today better than you James yeah (laughs) Yeah. I'm still ill from my sort of like little (laughs) witcher voice thing last week I still feel dreadful Boyd apparently has a cough as well I'm yeah and I'm taking no throat. responsibility for having given that to you in the pod no, booth last week. I think you did, but I, I think it's because, you know what it is, is uh, someone explained it to me that we're all going to mass events now. I went to the James Bond um, screening the other night and, you know, it was, thought it was packed. There was no there was no spacing between the seats. And obviously you, you're suddenly around loads of people with germs. You're going to get, you're going to be more susceptible than you have been in uh, in, in isolation, mostly isolation now. That, and, everyone, yeah. and, uh, and that makes sense. And so I have got a sore throat and a cough and... Mm. Um, I'm going to not go and see the film I'm supposed to see tonight because of that, even though I've had a test. This is really exciting, isn't it? Even though I have it had is, a test. It is. Talk us through it, boys. I'm negative. <laughs> you know, you'll be fine. You'll be negative. You can see the James Bond film tonight, etc. Good. We're all fine. We're feeling a bit ill, but we're fine. We just recorded an ill episode of the Empire podcast. We're now going to do the ill episode of the Pilot podcast. It's a, it's a thematic week for, for being under the weather and doing podcasts. But the best thing, Boyd, the best thing about being ill is you get to curl up on the sofa and watch a lot of television which for this podcast proves quite handy so True. tell me what have you guys been watching during the last week whether or not you have been ill can i just say before i tell you what i've been watching which is um I'm, i meant to say this when we did a little recording but on monday but i hosted this and this is a gratuitous name i hosted an afterlife um q a at the weekend on sunday at the picturehouse central as part of um this like uh storytelling festival that uh evening standard and netflix are doing with richard of search and when i walked in so i walked in and um, we walked on together, me, Ricky Gervais, and the cast of Afterlife, and sat down. And, and as soon as I sat down, I looked at the audience. And usually these things, because, you know, it's a bit nervous. It's like, there's Picture Central, Screen 1, 300 and something people. Yeah. And I usually try and not look at the audience, because that <sighs> that's the main thing that makes me nervous. So normally I'm not nervous at all. If I just imagine these things as a conversation between me and Ricky Gervais and these people, it's fine. But I looked down into the audience and I saw a bald, pale man. And I'm like, oh, James is here. James Dodd is here. And I literally was like, that's weird. Why is James here? And why hasn't he told me he's coming? And all these thoughts went through my mind. And it seriously put me off my thing. I had, I, that's I went, hysterical. Yeah, I went to start to speak, right? And I was like bumbling about introducing Afterlife. And then I looked at it again. Like, is it really James? Like, And it wasn't you. It was a lookalike. It was like, oh, it's not him. It's not even it's fine, but that honestly, it totally put me off my stroke. <laughs> Do you think I was speak. judging? I was like shaking my head, touching cut. I'm gonna have to cut yeah. that. I'm gonna I, have to I cut that. Like, of all the people, of all the people to have coming to see me do the least, the one I'd have least liked to be there in all due respect is Judgy James. Yeah, thank you, boy. Uh, that's very sweet. 
So, but it wasn't you. It was absolutely fine. I mean, it was just yeah. another white bald man. Yeah, unless it was you. It was, but it really, really did look like you as soon as I like looked up. Um, yeah. So that was that. Anyway, but what I've been watching is, um, you know, every week pretty much now, my what, you've, what I've been watching is a Netflix thing that didn't get much of a fanfare and has arrived and I've caught up with it. This yeah. one is this one-off thing. Have you heard about it? It's called Attack of the Hollywood Clichés, right? Oh, no. Right. No, you're right, Beth. This is excellent because you should have been on it, right? Back of the Hollywood cliches. What, is... as a Hollywood cliche? No, 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 as a talking head, as a talking head film expert, right? Because what this is, is a, it's an hour long, um, basically clip show, like about um, films, film tropes and um, uh, cliches, etc., and genres, really. Well, it's kind of like a mix between, I don't know if you've seen Mark Kermode's series, um, Secrets of Cinema, in which he talks about genres and, and all the different tropes within those genres and explains them. And he's really, it's really good, obviously. Mark Kermode is brilliant. Um, and, it's, and it's a mix of that and just basic kind of, you know, Channel 4, Channel 5. Actually, Channel 4 don't do them anymore, but Channel 5 do. You know, kind of epic talking head shows where people... You know, ju- film critic, film journalists like you, like, <laughs> like us, talk about stuff that we know about, and um, it's a, just a talk head thing. But the weird thing is, this is produced by Charlie Brooker, right? And of course, Charlie Brooker, and he's completely involved in it, I, I believe, and like you know, he's heavily involved in the whole con- conception of it. It's presented by Rob Lowe, and it's on Netflix, and it's all shot like beautifully. So the Talking Head people, it is people we know, by the way, like um, uh, Helen O'Hara's on it. Um, it's is she? Yes, Helen's on it, right? Well, she kept that quiet. I know, she did right? that it's quiet. so weird. It's this thing is so weird. So I'm still coming to terms with it. So loads <laughs> of. Um, some good, some not so good talking heads people are on it. Then you've got actual stars like Richard E. Grant's on it, Mark Strong's on it, but like for about <laughs> five seconds, and then they do a bit about something rather like what it's like to be a villain in our, in Hollywood film. That's what Richard E. Grant mm. mostly talks about. And um, But what I can't get up past is that Charlie Brooker used to do his screen wipe. One of the main elements of screen wipe was taking the piss out of talking heads shows like <laughs> this that he's now <laughs> created for Netflix. And it, some of it's quite basic where they do the thing that you have to do on all talking heads shows. Someone has to explain the thing. So, for example, mm. they do a bit on meet cute and some poor doofus has to literally explain what the concept is and then they show lots of clips of it but it's just quite a weird like it's perfectly enjoyable i kind of enjoyed it really but they they, they go through like about 50 different subjects in about <laughs> in an hour and cover it like it's it's say it's not in depth it's an understatement it's like they cover almost every cliche you could think of every type of film idea and it's weird that rob lowe's doing it as well and it's just bizarre it's just a bit bizarre i can't as i say i can't come to terms with it i think i quite enjoyed it in a way and yeah at the same time i think it's just weird that that um charlie brooker spent his time doing this i love charlie brooker and i love everything he does but it's just an oddity it's an absolute oddity it's what i think about it there you go. It's Why called it? Attack of Hollywood Creatures, and it is on Netflix right now. And that's the. I main... mean, I'm going to watch it for Helen. I hope she got yeah, back right. for that great, as well. Of yeah, Helen's great. You know, and other people I know in it that are good. Sanjeev Bascos in it. Um, yeah. Anyway, but it's like, but what I would say is, it's not as good as Mark Kermode's Secrets of Cinema, which is really, <laughs> really good. And that's like written by Kim Newman, co-written by Kim Newman and stuff. So like the expertise that's going. I'm not saying the people who wrote this aren't experts, but I feel like that mm. is a more in-depth version kind of thing of what this is this is also trying to be a bit funny and then it's also making serious observations about like portrayal of gay people in in hollywood films and stuff so it's a we- it's just a weird thing so from that point of view i i think you know you have a look at it because it is weird and i'm drawing um uh, uh bake off uh, 
Which is which we may do in this later section when we're doing the listener question. Carry on. Oh, good grief. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> Why not entree? <laughs> yeah. Do that. Beth, um, do you have anything you would like to share with the group? Yes. So I watched a few more episodes of The North Water, which was uh, continued its suitably grim and gorgeous uh, cocktail. Oh, really grim. It's really grim. It's also really gorgeous. So um, I have been enjoying enjoy that as much as I can because <laughs> it's really brutal that that's that's just been really really good and then off the back of that I saw out Andrew High's um other show looking which I'd never Ooh. seen before oh yeah um but had well he's directed a lot of episodes of it it was created by Michael um Lennon um but I've been meaning to check it out because it's got Murray Bartlett in it, who was a standout for me in in The White Lotus. Um, so I've been meaning to watch it anyway. So I bought the whole first episode off Amazon because sometimes it's nice to give money back and um, watched the first season, devoured the first season and absolutely loved it. I just, I don't know if I missed the fanfare around the show or it just didn't get it. Uh, from what I've heard, it was kind of cold in its prime, which is a shame. But I'm really, really enjoying it so far. The characters, so it's three central characters. It's uh, Mary Bartlett, um, Jonathan Groff, who is, of course, going to be in the next Matrix film, uh, and another actor called Frankie J. Alvarez. Uh, and they irk me in the same way that the central characters in Girls irk me. They're all quite self-involved. They're quite vulnerable. All kind of works in progress, though, and I quite like that about it. So I've been watching that this week. That's been really lovely. Uh, and then to give some extra credit, I uh, and because I was so obsessed with Sophie on last week's show, <laughs> James's little face here, I watched The Measure of a Man. I went and watched it. Oh, you it. did. <laughs> Bless you. Commander Data on trial. I, and do you know what? It's because I loved Sophie's, well, Sophie's whole 90 minutes, as we've said, as someone on Twitter said, like Ted talk about television. I was so enamored with everything she said. I was like, okay, I'm going to go away and watch <laughs> The Measure of a Man. And I did really, really enjoy it. So keep on coming recommendations wise. I'm on, I'm on to it. Um, Sophie's friend who made her watch The Measure of a Man is currently like purple in the face and fuming because yeah. <laughs> she's kind of stolen his recommendation. I will say though, and I think Sophie would of course endorse this course of action, that having watched The Measure of a Man, you are now perfectly poised to leap straight into Star Trek Picard, which picks up on those themes <laughs> and which is, yes, Sophie, so very, very character led. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that a lot. Mm. Yes, I did. I did enjoy this. I loved the kind of courtroom showmanship uh, that Patrick Stewart brought to the episode. I will say, though, and I can't unhear this, he <laughs> sounds so much like Matt Berry, especially in the voiceover. Oh, uh, brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know the, what you mean. The kind yeah. of yeah, the, the, the space. The, yes, because he's very because he's such a thespian. He's a classic yeah. Shakespearean thespian, which is what Matt Berry, when he's playing like Stephen Toast, is yeah. doing. Absolutely, that voice mm. I think is heavily influenced by oh, by oh, him. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 completely. But I can't because I'm obviously watching this all backwards. I can't unhear it, so I just hear. Matt Berry, like the final frontier, like that Space. very, very the uh... final frontier. <laughs> yeah. that's, so that's mildly, I wouldn't say ruined. It's just altered my mm. perspective of it mm. from I'm sure what Star Trek purists would like me to hear. <laughs> I hear taste. Um, so yeah, that's been my my big ones this week. Uh, looking, looking and then yeah, looking with uh, with the uh, Russell Tovey and um, of course featured yeah. Doctor Who probably <laughs> to be honest. Doctor yeah. Who, right, Russell Tovey. <laughs> Which was brilliant. I, and, and you're right. I think it did get a bit lost because um, 
it kind of was like it kind of sneaked down on HBO and it was shown here on Sky Atlantic, but it was definitely considered like that. It was often regarded as like the gay male girls version of girls, yeah. but I think it was different. I think to- it was totally different and more and, and and kind of and I, and Andrew Hayes' direction was key to that. I think because it's got a kind of a more lo- a looser feel, and I think it was quite it's quite plot light, wasn't it? I think a lot of people it felt it was that, put yeah. right. I think in in terms of it was it was the characters and their kind of how yeah. they were very very well meaning, but also you know, and and they own up to it. They're very self involved, and I think yeah. that is oh, that yeah. is kind of where the comparisons are. But I I loved it. There was a a wonderful episode kind of rooted in there with. Um, uh, Raul Costillo, who's in like Army of the Dead now, has gone on to this yeah. like rocketing action career. But there's a like a two hander between him and Jonathan Groff's character, which is like Weekend, which is Andrew High's first first film, yeah. which I adore. Yeah. So very tender and sweet, and and like I say, they're all work in progress. You know, they all want to to be better people, um, and they're just kind of fumbling around trying to trying to find their way through. Yeah. I, think lives. I think it's ahead definitely. of its time. Yeah. I think it's ahead of its time. Definitely. And there has been, on a, I've, you know, you do hear talk of them bringing it back because I think it would be brilliant to bring it back. Those, those characters, well, I know, right, I know Toby would happily, he loved doing it. Yeah. He would love, absolutely. Oh, he's love so it. charming in it. He's yeah. so charming. I've yeah. just watched one of my Hebrew acts to take that dance sequence, oh. which just had yeah, me classic. grinning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I'm, I'm eating it up. I'm very excited to see the feature length uh, yes. ending to yes. it. Uh, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> well, where do we guess. even begin with this week? So, uh, my viewing habits have been rather dominated recently by a couple of things. Uh, by A, my rewatch, which I have been doing on Friday Night Lights, and B, the monstrous backlog of sort of like epic science fiction like I had all of C to watch and all of Foundation to watch so I was just watching the same things time and time again however that has passed so I've been watching a few things this week and I want to talk about a couple of them first of all and quite briefly because I think a lot of our listeners have also finished Midnight Mass over the past week Uh, so I've watched the final episodes of that that's a fucking great series although one of our listeners didn't like it I don't know why but they didn't Um, but I loved it I loved it so much and I loved it for all the reasons we've already said so I'm not going to really relitigate it but I love the fact that it's not until like past the halfway point that you even know what the series is about I think that's incredibly bold and I just think the tone of it all the way through I mean I don't want to spoil it for anyone because my whole thing with this show as I was talking about Twitter is like people should see it before they know anything about it because I feel like something some of its potency is lost if you know what it is when you go in I think the discovery and because it takes a while to reveal is is part of the joy of the show but it is very much my Flanagan back on proper form uh, you know this is this is this is great this is definitely going to be one of my shows of the year so Midnight Mass, big fan. Also, we should talk about, we did not uh, speak about last week, um, but obviously it was the vigil finale last weekend, mm-hmm. which we didn't yeah. uh, which yeah. we didn't talk about. And I think we should, without getting into, obviously, spoilers for that. I was quite interested in Vigil, because Vigil was one where I, I, I really enjoyed the first two, and then I didn't watch it week to week, because the aforementioned C and Foundation and whatnot. And because of that, I ended up binge-watching three to six on the weekend mm. just like went through all of them just powered through it and then hit the finale boom done just watched it all in one go and all the people were saying oh yeah it jumped the shark and episode three and did i was like i don't know what they're talking about like at no point did i feel that show jumped the shark at all and i didn't even feel what i think a lot of people complain with they were like oh but it all resolved itself and then we just had like nonsense for the next i was like no no it all felt to me like part of one big story unfolding like i was really into it all the way through i fucking loved it it was it was that proper crack television that you don't get that much where you would you would just you're 
scrabbling for the remote when one episode finished. I must have the next one. Give me more. Give me more. <laughs> yeah. I thought like the mystery was great. I thought we talked as we talked about for the claustrophobia and the submarine was great. It's beautifully shot. Yeah. But I really loved the sort of love story at its heart. Mm. So you see Rose Leslie's character kind of thinking back to formative moments in her relationship. Saran Jones then as she's like going through all this horrific nightmare on the submarine, he's thinking about her relationship. And the two of them, you see it kind of from both their points of view sort of happening while they're apart. And you're just desperate at the end, not just for them to solve the mystery, but you want to get these two crazy kids back together again. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, I found it really compelling. I thought it was really yeah. touching and lovely. Yeah, I that that was the selling point for me was the central relationship. And I, I love that Rose Desi, it was, it was interesting. She wasn't just reduced to a character behind a desk either. She got to go out and yeah. bust some skulls, take some names, and then had this like lovely, vulnerable relationship with Saran Jones as well and kind of... Yeah being with a partner who's been through past trauma and and what that character study looks like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I I really really enjoyed this, but also completely captivated. It was it was the a trauma good... thing initially worried me that it might be a bit cack-handed. And I think Boyd you me mentioned too. this when we reviewed yeah. it. It's like really are we doing this? Like it yeah. just felt a little bit oh god. But actually as it played on, it was actually really useful. Useful for obviously the setting of the submarine, but useful because that was the root of her relationship problems as well. I, I yeah, I, I thought it was great. And this series was more of a two-hander than I thought it would be. Mm. Exactly as you say, Beth. I thought we'd see Rose Leslie like once an episode, like sitting at an S typing and thinking about her. But actually it was like a two-pronged investigation. Mm. I, I, yeah. I did really like it. I, I, if I'm honest, I mean, I watched it. I watched the uh, last episode a few weeks ago, so um, my I forgot that I was slightly. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. Slightly surprised that. Put it this way: like it's ra- it is wrapped up. The mystery is wrapped up, right? About mm. memory, about ten, fifteen minutes since that final episode, ten minutes maybe, and then there's a lot of subsequent kind of. Now we're all like, now relax, you know, this is what's going to happen now to all the characters. And you just expect, such as the thriller genre, you just expect there to be another twist. When, it, when, it, when, a narr- when a mystery gets wrapped up that quickly, do you know what I mean? In the final yeah, episode. Normally there's something else. Normally there's another big thing going to happen, but there kind of isn't, there isn't really. And on one level, you, you, you know, fine, and that's quite realistic maybe. They thought, oh, no, we don't want to shoehorn another twist in when we're just going to play out how this will all affect all the main players, including, you're right, that, that love story and the kid and all of that, which is, which is nice to see. But I was, I was surprised, to say the least, by how there was not a final twist of any kind whatsoever. It's yeah. like, that's it, we've told you who did it and why and kind of <laughs> and that's what we're going to get and now we're just going to carry on with a not particularly thrilling but you know perfectly good but satisfying I thought yeah, it was I, very not, satisfying yeah. sure. it really did take pains to subvert because it, it was following in the shoes of, of um, Line of Duty and I think it just was like, do you know what? No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to yeah. do this. We're, yeah. we're going to kill off the one cast member from Line of Duty five minutes into the show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're not going to try and overstuff with with too many twists and turns. We're going to have, like James said, a satisfying ending that's more emotionally rewarding than based yeah. on narrative. So I think, I'll, yeah. yeah. Are we led to believe, though, that I just one scene really um, struck me, which is when Rose Leslie is, is um, grilling that guy 
outside on the steps of some building, like basically conducting a police interview all of a sudden <laughs> with him. Uh, and, you know, and he's like, just Frank, he's just sitting there. She's asking like crucial, you know, questions. I'm like, is it really? Is that, is that, you know, after all what we've learned about the strictness of police interviewing situations, I thought that was quite a funny moment. But I have had a chat on some steps. Having a chat on some steps. It's all fine. But I did really enjoy the series. Let me, let, let's not, let me not, let my nitpicking not, um, I do agree with you. I agree with you even more about uh, Midnight Mass, which I think is an absolute stunning piece of work. I, it I really totally, is, isn't it? It really is. It's magnificent. I, like, um, you know, I think the, the music, the Neil Diamond, I mentioned this, you know, um, <laughs> or, or just, I love those montages. It, it's got quite a few, considering, you know, montages in some ways are quite a kind of, uh, I don't know, like ban sometimes banal way of advancing stories, you know, um, particularly in rom-coms. But his montages of the midnight, the, the Neil Diamond ones in episode three, after they've seen the miracle and they're all like carrying on their lives, but they're all kind of, their lives have been changed. And that plays out, I thought was fantastic. And just the, as you say, the audacity of not really explaining what the hell it's about, you know, genre-wise until halfway through yeah. all of that, I thought it is absolutely brilliant. And, and, and the monologues, he's talked about this, interesting, because I think I mentioned it in a review, the monologues which go on for hours sometimes, and there are loads of them. But interestingly, yeah. he keeps mentioning, I don't know if he, on Twitter, he keeps saying, yeah, I really, I deliberately wanted to subvert the, you know, the, the quick chat type of mon dialogue you get now. In um, which, in fact, Sophie was the kind of thing Sophie Pepper was talking about. The YAification. He's like a one man battle against it for having these long, but they work for the most part. They are beautifully written, yeah, thought provoking, fascinating, philosophical, religious treatises, you know. Mm. And yeah. like, he's, he, uh, you do think that's what Netflix is brilliant about, isn't it? They've given him clearly creative carte blanche to whatever the fuck he wants, and boy, is he going to do it. And uh, I love that, yeah. There's a there's a, another one where there's a bit of sort of retroactive exposition that goes in in episode four. I think it's episode four, which uses a kind of mural motif. Do you remember this to yeah, sort of illustrate yeah. the key points? I thought that yeah. was lovely. Yeah, fantastic. Lovely, yeah. really, really great show. That Midnight Mass. I can't uh, recommend that enough. Uh, what else I've been watching? Now I mentioned last week that obviously I'd seen the Many States of Newark. I will say I came this close this week to starting a bad binge. Because I kind of felt like, I felt like having seen that, I wanted to start The Sopranos again, but I've stopped myself. I've stopped myself because, because I feel I need to take a break from these rewatches because I finished my Friday Night Lights rewatch this week. Finally got there. That finale always at the end of the fourth season. Oh, all the feels, all yeah. the feels. And one of the greatest feels. sort of time jumps in history. I mean, it is a magnificent series. It really is. And it's interesting that final season of well, how they try and keep... I won't go into any major spoilers for anyone in terms of plot stuff, but most of the cast have left essentially by the final season. Like it's a, it's an entirely new class, with the exception of Coach and his wife and Julie to greater or lesser extent. Uh, everyone else is basically gone, but they try and keep everyone in by just having them randomly pop up every now and then. Um, and even the ones where I said, "Oh no, he's in it till the end," I was like, "Oh no, he actually does go away for a huge period of time to do this, this, and this." Uh, so it is, it's a strange shift that you go because you spend the first two seasons of that show so in just wrapped up in the dylan panthers dylan panthers dylan panthers dylan panthers <laughs> and then the second half of the show your feelings about the dylan panthers are very very different let's just say that uh, and it and it has a totally different feel to it so it is like it's it has a very 
distinct shift, uh, both sort of thematically and sort of narratively at that midpoint. Uh, and it becomes a different show, but an equally good show. Uh, and I think it shows you two very different sides of a community, which I liked as well. But yeah, it's it's a lovely, lovely show. It really is. It's heartwarming. It's got beautiful characterization. Have you ever have you ever looked into how they made that show? Have you ever done any features on it or anything in... in um... What in terms of what in terms of the way they shot it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've ever done a uh, sort of a written I thing. Was... I think we've talked about it on here before. Right. But oh, okay. You, did we, cause... you you are joking me, aren't you? Because you know I wrote the feature on this pilot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am yes. trolling you ever so are slightly. You, yeah. you absolutely but... kidding me? <laughs> Sorry. Again, again, I have to come in and fucking oh, remind you that I wrote over two thousand words. In fairness, I said this. I said this on podcast two episodes ago. This is I'm going to get a T-shirt printed that says, "Do you remember when I wrote?" the pilot feature on Friday Night Live. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. No, but I, what, I, what I will say is it wasn't the piece about the fact that they used that multi-camera sort of no, semi-improvisational it it, it technique. It was completely yeah. in homage to the show, so everything that you're saying yeah. and have said yeah. in the yeah. past, what, episodes of pilot I've written in my yeah. 2000 yeah. plus yes. words yes. fucking feature of Friday Night Live. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, but you said you've written something for us. I, give, I had no give idea. Me, give me so I was talking to an actor who was talking about the way that literal way it's shot with all the multiple cameras, and who was saying yeah. how it's literally like for the actors, it was like being in a documentary where yeah. they just yeah. were encouraged to like in, you know not, even not even stick to the script, just to go about yeah. do the scenes how, as realistically as they wanted, and they had all mm. the myriad cameras like they were filming a documentary, following them. They'd follow them wherever they go. There wouldn't be yeah. marks to no hit, set except blocking, all of that, and no set, yeah. no blocking. I mean that is pretty incredible. To, yeah. Oh, it is. But this is why it feels so real. There's something so organic about that show. It just it's so believable. Mm. Um and it's so good. And you just you get so invested in, you know, Tammy and Eric's marriage as well. Like it's so it's, a, it's my favorite on-screen match because it is so authentic. It's not rosy by any stretch, but there's also like real, real heart there as well. It's it's like people go, oh, it's the perfect marriage. You're like, okay, you say that. It's maybe the most believable. Where he is a massive yeah. bell end to her on a number <laughs> of occasions. Yeah. And he normally pull, comes around and he realizes he's being a bell end, and that's fine. But it's believable. And you sense there's kind of the love they have together. Like they've been married for 18 years. You sense that it is kind of the glue that holds them and this team and kind of to a certain extent this whole community together. Mm. Um, and again, it's like I have no interest in American football, but God knows I kind of almost wish I did at this point. I wish I had time <laughs> in my viewing schedule to watch American football. But because it gets you so like weirdly in the build-up to the end of the show there's very little american football in it like the actual matches sort of broadly mm. stop towards the end mm. and it becomes much more about what all the characters are doing um but i yeah i loved it so much i did love it and that final episode it is it's a it's a lovely piece of television i will miss that and at this point you know it may be a badder binge i'm not sure i'm gonna do something i haven't yeah. decided what but i am gonna have to I'm embark on something so maybe i should the do the world is waiting yeah <laughs> perhaps perhaps our listener question will address this particular <laughs> question of what I should watch next. Maybe it could be another show, another show that Beth has written an in-depth feature about that, 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 we, that we forgot. Beth, well, which other in-depth features about which shows did you write about? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to no. tell you. I, I just yeah. wait for James no recollection. To, to, to re-explain <laughs> it all to me over about yeah, 12 that. episodes of Pilot. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Well, this week's listener question is kind of thematically relevant. I should point out it was chosen by Beth, and I want to point this out so it doesn't <laughs> it was make me not seem chosen by me at all. It hundred percent was. That. 
go back through the. Ch- <laughs> now you've I've got like dog whistle pitch. And the WhatsApp whistle. has you quoting this, saying, "How about this one?" Well, no, I think if, if you go back through the WhatsApp chat, it was screen grabbed by Boyd from Twitter, and then I reintroduced it and said, "How about this one?" Yeah, it you was just from didn't Twitter. bother to read the messages. Per- exactly. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right. It was from okay. a real listener so- <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> No, I know that. I didn't mean Beth oh, came well, up with it. Well, you just implied that she did. That's exactly oh, what I apologize. I said it was chosen by Beth. No, oh. I didn't come up with it. Like, Beth didn't well, come up with this question. It wasn't like Beth woke up and said, you know what? I really need to ask James this question. <laughs> it was like, no, Beth chose this question from the selection of questions sent in by uh, listeners. Well, that's not what you said just now, but yeah. Okay. And it came from Nicola Austin originally, yes. who asked, as you previously aimed at me, uh, she asked me, as you previously made your fellow host watch an episode of Battlestar Galactica and Farscape. To be fair, just Beth and Terry. I don't think I've ever made Boyd watch anything because he'd just ignore me. Uh, I'd be intrigued to know which TV series Boyd and Beth would pick for you to try. Now, I'm starting to regret this because I'm already finding the amount of stuff I have to watch each week unduly stressful. So I don't really <laughs> want to take on something like another episode of Doctor Who, but carry on. I mean, you've just said that you've stopped Friday Night Lights, so that's a big gaping hole in your, uh, yeah, in your schedule right it's there. It's helped. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I was going to go straight for the jugular and say the final episode of I May Destroy You, but oh, I feel like... the others first. <laughs> the final well, this episode, is it. yeah. This, wow. I, you, you've, got to, you've got to get there on your own. You've got to get... I feel like you have to watch the rest of that series and I am not going to be the one that pushes you into it. Like, you just... <laughs> you have to get there on your own. And you will get there. Like, you will, you will get there, I feel. Um, so I have chosen an episode... Um, of the show Gilmore Girls, one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, so the show's Gilmore Girls, season three, uh, episode seven, and the, the episode is called They Shoot Gilmores, Don't They? Which is obviously a tribute to They Shoot uh, Horses, Don't They? Uh, it's written by the creator, Amy Sherman Palladino, who has gone on to show run The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, probably one of Amazon's most successful shows, I would yeah. say, if not the most successful show from Amazon right now. I mean, it's no bosh, but yeah. <laughs> okay. What is? Well, <laughs> do everybody else is Amazon <laughs> <laughs> awards bodies like the rest of the world the most successful show? And you can see the blueprints of Maisel, I think, in this episode. So it cuts right to the heart of what Gilmore Girls is about. Um, the show setting, which is called Stars Hollow, which is on the Warner Brothers lot, by the way, where like everything is uh, everything is filmed. So there's an episode of One Division, for example, where I was like, "Oh my god, Stars Hollow! The Stars Hollow!" There's the well, uh, Star- Stars Hollow set appears in an episode of The West Wing. Oh, amazing! Mm. These everywhere. That's that's a fun thing. I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna look look at what else is in there. But um, yeah, so it's Stars Hollow, and they have as part of the show, they have all these like wacky traditions and like community community rituals, not like satanic stuff but like quirky like cute things that happen like in the first season there's like a wake for a a deceased cat that all the community kind of gets involved in and is treated as a very serious like sweet thing um but for this one there's a a 24-hour dance marathon and it's it's 1920s themed um and it is just yeah it cuts right to the heart of what makes the show very um very sweet, very ambitious. So in it, Lorelai, who is the mum, and she's she had her girl when she was about 16. So they're very close in age. That's like kind of the whole thing. That's the whole concept of the show. Uh, and so she really wants to win this dance competition and she gets her daughter to do the dance competition with her. And that's the whole concept 
of the episode. Wow. Like, it really is. Hashtag the, then. <laughs> but that is the absolute beauty of the show, is the stakes could not be lower. So all that happens in this episode is a dance marathon. All the characters, the, the central characters are there. There's a little bit of oh, tech drama. Ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is, but, but just the mildest drama ever. But it is really beautifully written. The characters are so lovable in it. There's a there's a standout character called Kirk, who's played by Sean Gunn, who is James Gunn's brother. Oh. Uh, but he gets to have this really he's he's kind of the comic relief in this. His name's Kirk. Uh, and it's just wonderful it's just I, I went back and rewatched this during lockdown because i needed for my own sanity just the lowest stakes biggest hug of a show um and i think if you're looking for for quite a sweet show to kind of follow up friday night lights this might be i mean you won't watch all of it i know you won't but this is <laughs> this is just a really nice example of how good the show is crucially though not for lack of trying i have tried <laughs> to get into gilmore girls on a couple of occasions like <laughs> helen o'hara is a huge fan of it yep. and it's often talked about you know how articulate and intelligent the dialogue is um but i just i have not been able to i think i've watched I, I, like a good guy, I watched like six or so episodes of the first season. Like I, I watched a lot. I mean, let's be honest, largely while doing other things. But I did watch a big <laughs> chunk of season one, and I just I found it very hard to care. Oh, that's just, on you. That's it was, completely on you. Maybe I was just heartless. <laughs> I just I couldn't. I I don't know something about it. Just I didn't hate them. Like it passes the Bell <laughs> test. You're fine. But I just didn't. Like again, as you say, it it couldn't be lower stakes, and I think I don't know. I just it felt very trivial to me. I'll give it another go. I'll give it another. I will watch. You've your... just got to go in knowing that it is trivial stakes. It is the most tepid of drama, but it's just the charm and the warmth of that show is so appealing to me. And as I say, this episode gets right down to the core of why why it's so great so even if you i don't know this is just a swinging shot to make you like this show and i'm i'm fully expecting you to hate it but if anything that's going to be more enjoyable for me so <laughs> yeah you're well, fine well, I, I kind of i could do with something quite heartwarming because i feel like my go-to happy place has been somewhat compromised because the most recent two episodes of ted lasso have been quite emotionally turbulent oh god yeah so yeah. right like, through the ringer with that a hundred percent so we had beard after hours and then we had no weddings and a funeral and beard after hours is like weird experimental sort of i don't know what that is it's like the yeah. experimental jazz of of sort of sitcom television um, yeah. i'm not quite sure what that was and Lynch's again both of these episodes were really long so sort of like 45 minute that, plus episodes oh did you see there was one of the uh, one of um, my favorite tv critics and i've forgotten which one it is on twitter made the point that Ted Lasso's spice has stealthily turned from a half-hour sitcom yeah. into an effectively an hour-long show, an hour-long drama, mm. almost with a bit of some funny bits in between. Now, I think that episode, the funeral episode, was phenomenal. I loved it. Absolutely, it loved was. It. Yeah, but that has happened, doesn't it? I mean, it's interesting. And I, I yeah, should say, I yeah. should say, like, it, it, it was phenomenal, but emotionally grueling, like tear-jerking, but also yeah. laugh out loud in places as well. Yeah, Again, mm. it, it still maintains all of that stuff. But I wonder whether the thing with Ted Lasso is since Nate became a raging bellend. <laughs> I feel like really 
like nervy like because it used to be it used to be exactly if you talked about Gilmore Girls a big old hug of a show but mm. now it's a spiky hug because mm. like Nate's become really unpredictable and a little bit frightening <laughs> so yeah. whenever he's on stage I wonder if he's going to say something really barbed and unpleasant and like I need that Nate thing to resolve itself I mean luckily for us this is not a 10 episode season it's a 12 episode season so we actually even now have two more episodes to watch mm. so hopefully there'll be a hug at the end of it um but I've, I've derailed this. I've derailed this. Right, thank you. Right, Beth. So you've given me Gilmore Girls, season three, episode seven. They shoot Gilmores, don't they? That's me. Okay. Yep. I shall attempt to watch that for next week's show. <laughs> Boydie, what well, fresh hell do you have for me? My, my distant memory. This is a bit like the, the Beth situation that we've had earlier in this podcast where we forgot, you know, blatantly forgot um, recent events that Beth had been involved with. But in the, my distant memory is, didn't we used to have a feature on this podcast, didn't we, about where we tried to get you into a comedy. Funny um, or die, yes. Yeah, funny or die. So we've kind of, and I don't remember whether, did you actually watch the things that we told yes, asked you to watch? Yes, you? you used to oh, set me a right, sitcom okay. each week, which right. I then had to watch and attempt to find amusing. So, I can't uh, believe you've literally forgotten well, what we do on this podcast. Know, I mean, I was like, is that a dream? You know, because this question <laughs> Did we make is, that up? Yeah, did we make that So you did watch, so you watched Seinfeld, for example, right? Did you? I did, yes. We oh, watched okay. the, you, you set the one where they are masters of their own The domains. competition, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's oh, okay. the one I watched. The contest, sorry, the contest. I, only, I mentioned it because it's Seinfeld Day is as recording this Thursday. It will have happened already when this goes out. On Friday, all Seinfeld arrives on Netflix. Um, so exciting! So it'll all be there. Even though I should point out that it's been on um, all four for ages and Amazon Prime at various times. So it's not like it's suddenly arriving in British consciousness. But for some reason, and this happened with Friends, or you know, like when something yeah. does arrive on Netflix, it does become a thing. Which yeah. it wasn't when it was on other, probably for all <laughs> I know, we you know more popular or equally popular stream services. So it's weird, but everyone's talking about Seinfeld all over again, which I cannot be happier about. But I feel like mm. you need to watch more Seinfeld for sure, James. Obviously, um, it, cl- clearly you do. Yes, yeah, but you quite liked the contest. I seem to remember, didn't you? Did I did, you? I did. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Didn't feel compelled to watch anymore, but I did. Uh, right. I did right. quite enjoy. It. But and, you know how I feel about sitcoms. Like I can, yeah. I, like my feeling about sitcoms largely is my feeling about a lot of older television. Is I have a an almost violent reaction to. I always say the procedural format. What I mean is that kind of one and doneness of episodes. Yeah, like I, I, I really, it really bugs me because it makes me feel like I've wasted time watching it. I need, and and we're going to get onto this actually when we get into the news section where I might have something I'm going to set you guys to watch, but we'll find out in a minute. Um, I like yes, indeed, but yeah. So I, I struggle a bit with that. So sitcoms, I sometimes feel a bit like, why am I watching this? Like we're not going anywhere. Nothing. And Seinfeld in particular was like it, it was based on that concept, wasn't it? No, was it no hugs, no learning, no. You know, yeah. coffee. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> I yeah, think about, that was the tagline. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no hugs, no love, no coffee. Yeah. A show about yeah. nothing is what you're. Yeah, which yeah, is my idea about- of hell. That's my kryptonite. A show about nothing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Although interestingly, of course, it's actually not true at all. I mean, there's a whole season of Seinfeld. I think it's the fifth. I get confused sometimes. Fourth or fifth, which is about him creating his Set own submarine. No, it's, yeah, it's about him creating his own um, uh, sitcom, which is like, so it's like a very self-aware play on the fact that you're watching Seinfeld in a sitcom, creating his own sitcom with George. And it's brilliant. And that is a, an arc that plays throughout the whole season. So I think you'd love that particular um, season. Uh, what I'm just trying to... Uh, oh, yeah, season six, season four. Sorry, season four. And it ends up with them creating the pilot. And it's mm. fantastic. What about Curb? Do you watch Curb? 
Have we been through this? I have watched the first episode of Curb. It's oh. too close to home, Boyd. It's too close to home. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> uh, I watched the first episode of the most recent one because obviously we reviewed it on the oh, podcast. On the party TV uh, podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh, with Fine. Mocha Joe. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Michael Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, it's back. Obviously, it's back soon. But talk, I was going. I'm going to mention that news. But I think so we might have done another episode for Funny or Die. Actually, yeah, I can't I remember. Think we might have done. I might have done. Anyway, although uh, generally, the, the, but the one comedy I was just testing is that the one comedy that you and I should both try, and which is it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And I mentioned this in that recent previous thing where, you know, someone was asking about things that we, we feel bad we've never watched or whatever that question was. But I feel I've neglected It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because people swear by it. I have watched some episodes, but I think you and I should both, because like I had, we had loads of feedback on Twitter. I had anyway, people saying, yes, you mm. really should have watched it, you fucking idiot. It's brilliant. <laughs> Um, it's, one, it's a TV phenomenon. It's because yeah, it's been on for 14, 15 fucking years. I've never I seen a single episode. Oh, you've never seen a single. This is right. You've got to Not watch one. an episode. You've got to watch an episode. Of what's, it's always saying. that's the te- that's what you should do. Yeah, we found. But, the show. Do I just start from the beginning, or do you need to pick me one? And see, you are singularly unqualified to pick one. I know. For me. I know. Well, we, we, I'm sure we can research it. There'll be there'll be there's always a, a feature today. Right, I'm going to Google it right here, right now. There's always a feature to this, and because you're yeah. both awful, you'll have forgotten that the first time I came on the pilot TV. Podcast, Podcast, I saw, talked about a definitive Always Sunny episode Brilliant. for about 20 Amazing. minutes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there you go. So we yeah. passionately yeah. and yeah. at length. So yeah, you're like, both like, scratching your head thinking about that definitive episode that you should go away and watch. I'm like, I absolutely you are not qualified to tell me this. If only there was someone we knew who could tell only. us an episode to watch. Yeah. We we'll don't know anyone. What are we going to yeah. do? We must ask Twitter. First yeah. episode on. That's brilliant. Unbelievable. All right. All right, Just making sure I'm not turning invisible on this podcast, like uh, Back to the Future. This is like this is like mansplaining in action, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this these is two guys go, God, we've got no one here who's seen this. You're going, hi, hi, I'm right here, guys. I'm right here. Wearing a t-shirt that says always sunny. Yeah. In most, in no one listens to anything that anyone says on this podcast. So that's, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. You did a whole segment based about yeah. me. The boy just basically blocked yeah. out his memory. So. The annoying thing is, when, when Terry was doing it, Terry used to not listen to anything either. And it was quite worse. I think Jeff probably does. So I think it's a not, yeah. So we could always, we'd always know that actually Terry would never remember anything either. Because she was, she was always doing that is emails. True. She was composed. I mean, she'd be composing l- lengthy emails and yeah, probably not having, yeah. having phone calls with Hollywood's, you know, agents and stuff. Yeah. Whilst doing podcasts. <laughs> anyway. That's All right. Defense. So best. Fine, it's I'm now going to put you on the spot. You now have to pick an episode that Boyd and I must watch okay, of It's well, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And don't with... think I don't see what you're doing now, where as you Google best episode, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh... Wasn't there a one, uh, while you're looking, wasn't there, it's a, there was a character who came out as gay, wasn't there, like quite a way That's into... literally the one I'm doing, Oh, yes. excellent. Okay, well, because I knew about that, like as a, as a cultural phenomenon. So I quite yeah. liked it. Yeah, so I was thinking, like, okay. Yeah, so this is one of the only episodes, and this is why I'll give it to you, this is one of the only episodes that actually had quite a nice agenda underneath it all. And what I said when I came on the podcast, I mean, it was two years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I do remember things. (laughs) But the the concept of the show is it's just a a group of people, a group of five people, including Danny DeVito, uh, just being as egregious as possible to each other all the time, all the time. There is no heart in this show. It's like the antithesis of Gilmore Girls. There's no 
part in the show whatsoever. They're all completely awful to each other. And this was the first episode where there really was a, a little glimmer of like hope and love in it, which everyone was like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is too much. Um, and this was an episode, it's called Mac Finds His Pride. Um, and it's Mac who is uh, Rob McCownry, who's obviously gone on to do amazing things with Mythic Quest and, and whatnot. But he, um, he discovers he's gay earlier in the episode, which people took issue with at the time because he is very much straight. He's married to his co-star, um, Caitlin Olsen in real life but uh people took issue with it but he has uh i believe his mom is gay and his sister might be as well so he's he's kind of drawn on their experiences a little bit to write this character albeit in the worst way like he's still a horrible person um which is actually kind of nice because you don't want to like oh well, he has to become instantly more likable because he's he's come out he's still awful um but he's trying to communicate to Danny DeVito's character what it feels like to come out. Uh, and I will stop there because how he does it, and, and boy, you must have seen this on, on social media, like how he communicates how, how yeah, he's come out. I, think have, but yeah. I will stop yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so it's it's called Mac Finds His Pride. Uh, what Excellent. season is it in? 1310, uh, it seems. There we go. There we go. Um, but that is, that is a... If you're Tremendous. just doing a standalone, that's yeah. that's a really great one. Excellent. And my final um, offer is: Have you? Have you? We've talked about this before as well on the podcast. Did we ever force you to watch an episode of Bake Off? I'm not watching fucking pastries. Oh, come on. <laughs> you talk about low stakes. Whether or not fucking Gatto will set is the yes, lowest but- of all possible no, stakes. No, 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 no. First of all. Like here's the thing. The thing about Bake Off is it's a it's just makes you feel better about life. You know, it's like hugging a tree or something. It's like you know, it's it's so it's, the, it's the joy of it. It's the just the calm, just loveliness of it. That and I know you have you know, I, I don't know. I just think you know you have stresses. You know, you have to watch, when you're like having to watch four films and five yeah. fucking hour long stressful dramas. Well, to take the stress, it's it's a it's it's a stress relieving thing. It's so, you know, enjoyable. And it's got great, lovely, real people in it who are just, you know, being themselves and their love of baking stuff. And you've got, you know, Matt Lucas being really funny in it. The latest, you know, he's, he's the, the new host. He's been doing it for two series now, but still. Um, I just think it has a lot of elements that you would enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I'm I just I feel it. like if I'm going to watch Bake Off, I want to watch Celebrity Bake Off. Like, I want to see someone oh, okay, I recognise whipping up a ganache. Fine. Do you oh, know okay. what I mean? I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. get involved with in some case, random. In that case, watch a Celebrity episode. Sure, sure. But I mean... Because I remember people talked about the one. Like Daisy Ridley was on it, wasn't she? Yeah, and some other right, people. Yeah. So yeah. Like, that feels like people. something... I could have got on board with. Okay. Oh, there was a, a Dairy Girls one, wasn't there? Yeah. That yeah. was really, really that. sweet. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Try, try the. Is Dairy that the one I should but... watch? Dairy Girls Bake Off. Well, I mean, that, that, do it. I can, yes, I think you know. Go oh, with boys, it. Yeah. Boys, boys like boys yes, bristling. except that's not really representative of the show. I mean, it is. So. <laughs> it isn't because part of the joy of it is normal people, civilians, you know, just yeah. you know, getting more emotionally involved in it in the whole act of it but it's still well let's matter. let's bench it for now for the simple reason that i've already been given two shows to watch by next week and so i'm already feeling stressed so. okay yeah right yeah okay fine <laughs> let's get through these and see how we do and then kind of take it from there um yeah. i trust that this has been in some way you know helpful to you nicola thank you for giving me more work to do because i fucking <laughs> didn't need that um but anyway let us shuffle on oh i should probably say if you do have a question for us uh, and i very much hope you do please do send them to us at 
Pilot TV Pod on Twitter via DM. Uh, either myself or our social media editor, Sophie Butcher, will pick that one up, which would be great. Um, or send them to me as well at James C. Dyer. Uh, should we move on to this week's news? And the reason why I think we should move on to this week's news is there's been some monumental, well, news. Um, and it is that Babylon 5, which oh, is not God. a big pile of shit, Babylon 5 <laughs> is getting rebooted by J. Michael Straczynski for the CW. And I've got to be, I've got to be honest, I'm pretty fucking excited about it. <laughs> Babylon 5, guys. God. Yeah, you're the one. Uh, you're the now, only one. Now would be the time yeah. where I would out Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast for when she was at Oxford at university, she became a member of BabSock, which was the Oxford Babylon <laughs> 5 Society. Uh, oh, that's amazing. Mainly so because they used to get the wow. tapes of the episodes from America so she could watch them early, but she became a member of BabSock. So <laughs> Bab-Sock. if you ever see Helen, just say hashtag BabSock and, uh, and <gasps> please great. bring that up. That's great. Um, that guy, the showrunner, what's his name? J. Michael Straczynski. Isn't, wasn't he a lot of like um, misguided people wanted him to do Doctor Who, wanted him to have a go at showrunning Doctor Who because they thought, oh, it's, it's possible. Guess. Yeah, I think he was mentioned a lot by, um, as I said, Let me just misguided. check my encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, carry on. <laughs> um, but no, J. Michael, the reason why Babylon 5 is a big deal is like, so it's one of these shows where it's incredibly important and incredibly influential, but it has aged so poorly. <laughs> that it's really, really hard to get away from. And one of the reasons is, like, Star Trek, like, and you'll know this, Beth, now that you're an expert, but next-gen <laughs> Star Trek, what Star Trek tended to do was they used models. So if you ever saw Space Combat in Star Trek, next generation, they wouldn't be model-based. And as a result, they've not aged that badly. They still look quite decent. All of the stuff in Babylon 5 was CGI, and it was all done on Lightwave, which I think was an Atari ST program. So it is super, super, super dated. Um, and so the whole show just looks fucking ridiculous. But I'm digressing. What makes Babylon 5 excellent is this it was set out as a five-year show with a five-year plan with a very distinct plot arc going through those five seasons and that for the time was fucking unprecedented and you will recall me saying from earlier in this very podcast that those kind of one and done type things were always sort of kryptonite to me and even Star Trek like I used to love like the multi-episode story that's why I love Deep Space Nine so much because it got into that stuff Babylon 5 was all about the story arc all the way through and it didn't go according to plan because he thought he wasn't going to get a fifth season then he did and he had already ended it and so he had to come up with more stuff so it didn't go according to plan also the main character commander sinclair leaves at the end of season one and and commander sheridan comes in bruce boxleiter to replace him so that that felt like a slightly odd thing and no one really knew why that happened and it only came out quite recently because j michael straczynski actually talked about it that michael o'hare who played sinclair actually had uh he had a, a mental health issue which was affecting him very badly during the shooting of of season one and so to help him get the treatment he needed straczynski wrote him out of it and brought Bruce Boxleiter in. So this remake is just going to focus on Sheridan. There's no talk of Sinclair in the official synopsis. It's just about Sheridan. Uh, and it's going to be a complete, from the ground up, rebuild of Babylon 5. It's, I'd be fascinated to know how it's going to approach the story. Is he rethinking the story? Is it the story that he originally wanted to tell before it kind of got changed? Like, what's this going to be? That's quite exciting. But it's all around. The idea is, the idea of Babylon 5, if you don't know, it's about this space station, Babylon 5, which is like, they call it the last best hope for peace. So it's a space station where it's like the Cheers bar in space, if you like. Where all the alien races can come and hang out and chill out and get on with each other. And so it's like this central thing where the Minbari and the Narn and the Centauri and the Vorlons and all these people can come together and, you know, try 
try and find peace through common ground while hanging out in the bar there or you know stuff but yeah so anyway it's a seminal sci-fi show it looks shit and now it's going to look good this can only be a good thing and so your homework obviously is to go and watch all five seasons of babylon 5 by next week <laughs> God. Hmm. Um, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll um look on wikipedia right yeah but, okay i mean you could you, yeah. you could do that I think you know that's fine, but uh, but this this is this is a big deal. It's big. This is huge news, massive, huge. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you not, Look, Boyd? You must, as someone who's watched every show ever made, you must have at least watched some Babylon Five. Yeah, I watched. It, I did watch some of it right at the beginning. Yeah, um, I didn't ever go into it. Yeah, no, ever got into it. I don't know why. I think it might have been. Yeah. Just wondering if Boyd could look any less committed right now. <laughs> I am, I am uncommitted. Yeah. I'm trying to. What year did it start? It started in 1993, ran to 1998, and then there were a bunch of, there was a spin-off series called Crusade, which was terrible, which had Gary Cole in it, (laughs) and there were also a bunch of sort of movies which which kind of filled in the gap story-wise. Some of those were really good. Yeah, it started in 1993, so I would have been like in my early 20s, so I think... I think I, was, I thought you I were too thinking, cool for this, weren't you, boy? Well, I remember. No, I remember the perception of Babylon Five that was very uncool. You yeah, know, it was. Yeah, it was 100%. really hardcore, kind of cheesy, almost kind of. Um, in fact, on on the Wikipedia, it's described as an American space opera television series, slightly Ooh. snobbishly. Yeah, so I, I think, think even bit, the Star Trek fans looked down a bit on the Babylon yeah, Five well, fans. I, I, as like, a Star Trek fan, I did definitely look down on it. That was exactly what happened. Yeah, so I I think I pretty much deliberately snubbed it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I should point out, I didn't watch this in 93. Like, I didn't okay, watch it cool. when it first oh, okay. aired. I came to it actually a little bit later. It would have been, right. for me, uh, the sort of, mm, I would say mid-ish 90s I came to it. So there'd already been a few seasons of it uh, when I started. And I've not seen every single episode by a long shot, uh, but I did binge through, I think, the last few seasons of it. I've just clicked on Joseph Michael Straczynski, the, the creator with a picture of him. It's like exactly how you imagine the creator of Babylon 5 to Oh, look. Boyd. <laughs> Sorry. Don't give me Sorry. your snooty anti-nerd <laughs> elitism. <laughs> oh, dear. He did co-create um, Sense8, though, I note. I know he which did. I loved. I yeah, loved with Sense8. the Wachowskis. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, Sense8 is one of the most undervalued, underrated of... Um, all shows, a of recent years on Netflix, everything. It was fucking amazing, the sensei, in many ways. It, I mean, it, it was good, but there no, were I points really where good. I felt like it it wasn't going anywhere. anywhere yeah, but quickly. it there. Good. Even <laughs> when it wasn't going anywhere. Uh, it was still, <laughs> it it wasn't was going anywhere. Yeah. Um, it was still amazing. Even You're right. It was quite, sometimes it didn't, but even then. It, like, episodes, they'd have like a 12 minute. Like group sex, virtual yep, right. psychic orgy. You're, You're like, like it's a bad what's thing? happening? Sounds fucking great. <laughs> and there was a Christmas special. There yeah, was a Christmas, Christmas orgy special. In a church, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. The Christmas Absolutely special, yeah. deranged that show was. Entirely <laughs> yeah, was. deranged. But yeah. the thing is, it got one of these things where you, like, there was an overarching conspiracy plot line to that which yeah. i don't think anyone really paid much attention to oh yeah no there was yeah, I, I thought i i, I mean I, I'm, I was fully there for it anyway moving on to other news i'm going to bring up the provocative news story that we met that we didn't have time really that we came too late for us last week okay um but we can have a we can have a heated debate about it now i'm referring it? to steve coogan playing jimmy savile in bbc one drama Oof. Yes, yeah, yes. I can see James is sweating already. Um, I think 
And um, Beth, I know you said we should we should talk about it on a WhatsApp message that was completely ignored by uh, James. Um, but turns um, <laughs> more invisible. <laughs> a, a lot of people have expressed astonishment that this is happening, and a lot of people have said it shouldn't be happening, and blah blah blah. I, my feeling generally about any uh, anything, any TV or film project or any creative project, no matter how outrageous it seems initially, is I have to wait till I see it. I just I can't judge it. Before seeing it, I just think you know, and and also, if anyone's going to do it, then the combination of Steve Coogan, who has already shown he can do an uncanny Jimmy Savile in various um, places, on like you know, in the trip he did impersonations in the trip he did in um, Mid Morning Matters with Alan Partridge, Alan Partridge impersonates Jimmy Savile brilliantly, um, and it's going to be written by Neil Mackay, who wrote Appropriate Adult, which was a brilliant show about um, Fred West. Etc. Um, Fred and Rose West. And it's produced by Jeff Pope, who is the expert on true crime um, dramatizations completely. So I just feel it's going to be directed by Sandra Goldback. I just feel I'm not going to judge it. And, and, and I, I actually think half the people who are sounding off about it now in a, in a kind of moralistic way will end up, of course, watching it because it's going to be fascinating to see what, it, what angle it takes. And, and I think the more you know about someone doing horrendous, terrible stuff, the better, you know, if, you know, I think like it feels like it's a certain period of time has gone whereby a drama exploring the, re- you know, what the reality of Jimmy Savile was and why he got away with what he got away with will be, I think, fascinating. So yeah, that's, that's what this is there. about, isn't it? Like it's not glorif- glorifying Savile. No. It, it is about how he managed to get away with this for so long. Exactly. And the kind of institutional cover-ups that essentially enabled him yeah um so i imagine it'll be quite a grueling watch but i mean fair play to coogan because this is it's a thorny thing to take oh. on but you can just totally imagine him being brilliant and also terrifying slightly in that yes. role like yes that's like mm, i'm not sure about this so you're right you're right i i mean i've said it myself to be seen to be judged but i also think that this is such a murky moral grounds to make a show on. I mean, it's only been five years since the independent investigation, 72 victims. Uh-huh. I will be amazed if 72 victims that have been identified in that investigation have said that it's okay or that they feel okay to, for this show to go out. Um, so on those grounds, I am skeptical and think that there is such an important conversation to have around who gets to tell these stories, when these stories get to get told. And it's a very broad investigation. Like Boyd, you said on the chat, like, oh, it's going to open a big can of words. And it is a massive can of words to open. You know, you're looking at things like the Britney Spears documentaries at the moment, and she hasn't been involved in those anyway. Are those the right ways for, for her story to be told? You know, and it is an ambitious project. But I think what I've found recently is there have been some really strong examples of addressing the themes of stories like this without actually using the stories of those people. So I'm thinking about things like, uh, I mean, this is a film, but there was a fantastic film that came out last year called The Assistant, which dealt with um, institutionalized sexism and sex abuse in the film industry. You never see the perpetrator, you never see the man, that's the whole part of it. And I think that worked incredibly well. I think if you look at something like The Morning Show, where you're looking at the Me Too movement within daytime television, within those 
cycles within those institutions without calling on real people that that has happened to. So you can shade in those parts of the story yourself without ever directly drawing a line to those people. And I think that would have been for me a more respectful show. I just, I'm so um, sensitive to the fact that so many people were harmed over such a long time by this man. The investigation was not very long ago. I don't know what the right time span is for someone addressing this story. I don't, like, I couldn't say that, but this still feels fresh and incredibly deep-rooted. And I just think you could tell this story without using these people is, is I guess, what I think about this. Um, I will watch it because that's my job. And, you know, it, it should be watched, I guess, to be able to form an opinion on. But, yeah, I think very murky in, in terms of how it's told. Yeah, I, I take all that on board. Yeah, I, I know. You. I, well, I mean, I think the whole true crime genre is questionable, isn't it? In a way, in, 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 you know, from your first point about you know the relatives on the survivors, etc., of a of a of a criminal like that, and I think, and I can't imagine that. You know, every now and then you do hear of a, of a show that says, "Well, we have got the involvement of you know so and so involved," but but often they haven't and i you know yeah so that whole I, uh, whole issue of who gets to tell the stories is 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 an interesting one i i generally i generally land on the kind of anyone almost should be allowed to tell any story pretty much but in this particular case i can see why they want to do it i mean very very soon after much you know years ago alistair mcgowan played jimmy Savile in a play i don't you remember this um whereby it was kind of, um, he, it was, I think it was based on verbatim Jimmy Savile quotes, but he, he, he played him and it was in, it was, it was in a play and um, it was kind of exploit showing what, you know, the horrendous, how we got away with how we got away with, but purely by using his own words pretty much, I think. Um, so I think it's okay. I just think it's okay to do, uh, for me anyway, to, to, mm. to be able to do this stuff. But yeah, it's, a, it's, that's why I put it, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting, difficult, thorny topic. But part of, if I'm really honest, part of me cannot wait to see what Steve Coogan does with this performance. You know. It's a it's a bold choice for him, definitely. Yeah. And I yeah. don't doubt that he's capable at yeah. all. At all. I just think, yeah, yeah. I think everyone's going to have a different take on this depending on a, a myriad of things. And that's partly why it's being made because, you know, yeah. people sure. will have such varying... Uh, mm. points of view on it uh, unrelated to jimmy savile i will say we've had a, a few dates which turned up in posters so not only have we had the new curb date so yes. curb is coming to the u.s on october the 24th we also saw the book of boba fett get a poster and that's gonna be coming to disney plus on december the 29th which is a very inconvenient time because we're gonna need to record <laughs> a special podcast <laughs> well sky confirmed that curb is on will be the next day here yeah on on the monday yeah. the 25th that I wanted to mention that that teaser trailer. I love it. Have you seen the teaser trailer, which is done to the music from two thousand and one, Last Week's Zarathustra, and you think it's like a globe in space, and it says <laughs> the world's changed, and it uses that music, and then it turns out to be his bald head, and it says, but he hasn't, and uh, it's a fantastic little thirty second. I think it's. Perfect. I only saw the poster, so, but that sounds genius. It's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant use of Larry's bald head because Larry's baldness <sighs> is one of the great recurring themes of Curb, which I myself, for various reasons, um, identify with very strongly. Yeah. Perhaps next time you're doing a Q and A and you see a bald man in the audience, you just assume, "Hey, it's Larry David. Why has he come to see me do this Q and A?" Oh, I totally will. I absolutely will. Yeah, hundred percent. Did you see the thing about how um, the Squid Game? 
um, which is, you know, the, have you, are you guys had a chance to watch it? Yeah. Well, funnily yeah, enough, yeah. so it occurred to me belatedly this week that given the paucity of shows this week, we should have dropped one of them oh, yeah. and done a retrospective, <laughs> yeah, a retroactive maybe. Squid Game review this week, yeah. like yeah. we did with Queen's Gambit. Now that it has become a proper phenomenon and is basically on track to be Netflix's like most what? successful right. show or something. This yeah. is the story. This is the new story. This is why I brought it up. Yeah, it's on track, according to official uh, Netflix figures to be their biggest show ever <laughs> being Bridgerton stranger fucking things because they put out Ted Sarandos did a thing a lot of the weekend he where did he, he listed the top network uh, Netflix shows in various measures and Bridgerton was number one of both charts measuring to measuring it but then he mentioned but Squad, Squid Game, Squad Game, Squid Game is coming up on the rails and probably will take over at some point. And it looks like it will be. It's such that that is extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary that it's it's such a phenomenon already. No, it is and I think, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, we could have done that. We should have done. Maybe we should do a special if we have if we have another not so brilliant week. Spoiler alert <laughs> for new television. We do I'm a, definitely definitely going to watch a few episodes yeah, this week. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just trying I, to... I repeat what I said last week, James. You are going to find it distressing. Yes. Well, perhaps that's a reason not to. But okay. Yeah. No. We should. We definitely should have done that, and we'll get on to the reasons why we should have done that. I'm sure before too long. But you mentioned a very important thing, which is that Ted Sarandos did indeed do his revelations about shows. But what I found most interesting about this is because he listed the most popular series and films, and Bridgerton was number one. Lupin was number mm. two. The Witcher, toss a coin to it, was number three. <laughs> uh, sex slash life at number four. A little yes. bit of porny goodness there for people. Though I suppose The Witcher also covers that off. Stranger Things at number five. Uh, La Casa de Papel at number six. Uh, Tiger King number seven. The Queen's Gambit at number eight. Sweet Tooth at nine. And Emily in Paris at number 10. But obviously this uses their slightly weird, if you walk past a TV in the same room as this playing, you're classed as a viewer metric. Uh, which I'm not sure is all that helpful. But what was what I thought was quite interesting was that he then did a second list, which was based on overall time spent viewing. Yeah. Now, well, that's a much more interesting metric so yeah. bridgerton still number one for the most hours spent watching so that is properly the most watched show yeah money heist at number two stranger things at number three witcher at number four 13 reasons why season two at number five 13 yeah. reasons why season one at number six you season two at number seven uh stranger things two at number eight money heist part three money heist is back at part nine uh, and Ginny and georgia so I don't even know what that is at number 10. <laughs> so wow. it's essentially, because I've got, and it's worth noting as well, Bridget in season one, 625 million hours spent <laughs> watching mean, that show. That's, that's a lot. That is a that lot. Is, yeah. Absolutely. There's about as long as last week's podcast, 625 <laughs> million hours. That is, in fact, how long it took me to edit it. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, what that <laughs> ranking has shown me is that it's, it's horny emo teenagers are watching yeah. Netflix. Like, just the horny emo teens and they are watching it all the time rather than do anything else. These yeah. horny emo teenagers are watching, oh, just outstanding. 496 million hours watching 13 Reasons Why. Like that is, yeah. that is damaging. That is yeah, that's, not damaging that's not a show. great thing. No. That is not a great thing. Go and get some sunshine, guys. Like go outside, go and sniff some flowers. Don't watch mm. six, 496 million hours of 13 Reasons Why. And that's only season two. And then 400. <laughs> Seventy-six million hours on season one, so that's nearly a hundred million 
No, it's not. Oh, God, that's my mask. Is no. it a billion? Is it a billion? It's a billion. It's only is a it... billion fucking hours watching 13 Reasons Why. That's Come not on. good, is it? That's not good no. for anyone's mental health. It does no, show you, though, because I will say in this, in, in, I mean, not, I mean, 13 Reasons Why is, is a very problematic show, but the storytelling, you know, was really, it was very addictive. And, and Bridgerton, I mean, it, you know, that is so addictive from my, if you, did you ever even watch Bridgerton? I haven't seen it. No, no I never saw amazing, it. Amazing, amazing. Um, well, it didn't it drop on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or something. Yeah, we didn't review yeah. it on the podcast. I was like, eh. yeah. Fuck that. Anyway, but it is, it is, it is so instantly um, compelling and, and and kind of and fun and and it's the soapiness. We haven't used that word, but what mm. that really means is a kind of you know it's a byword for compelling storytelling for instantly I mean, compelling is storytelling. It? <laughs> in this case yeah. it might be I, not I, how I, I use it it's not no it's not how you use it that's true it's how i'm using it right now that way. Um, so yeah yeah it's interesting yeah um last bit of news i probably should mention is that there is another streaming channel coming to the uk imdb tv oh yeah has launched its service it is on amazon so if you have amazon you can get access to imdb tv it is also free so it doesn't cost you anything more because it's ad supported and it has stuff on it <laughs> I can't it's mainly films I mean, isn't it it's mainly films it's, it's like, mainly films, films. Yes. Yeah. But but it's a TV. new streaming thing there is some yeah. TV but it's mainly films yeah. I did want to it's mention quickly films. sorry I know you want to wrap up TV but you, you did have about half an hour on Babylon 5 so, that's fair uh, that is fair Louis Theroux well, you know we're the big 3-3 fans on this podcast well Terry and I were um uh, is doing a new three-part series of used to called Louis Through Forbidden America, in which it explores the impact of the internet and social media on controversial areas of American entertainment from porn performers, far-right campaigners and conspiracy theorists, and rappers engaged in dangerous feuds, which they then play out online. And I am there for those, all of those yeah, all of those yeah. episodes of Louis That Theroux. sounds fascinating. Yeah, that sounds really like a kind of John Ronson type thing, right. which I'm always here for. Oh, gotcha. Um, Absolutely. Wicked. Um, and finally, the, if Suspect, you're reading about this show, Channel 4 Suspect, just this cast. This is an eight-part crime thriller adapted from a Danish original. Uh, James Nesbitt, Neve Algar, Joel oh, Richardson, Anne-Marie Duff, Richard E. Grant, Ben Miller, Sam Huygen from Outlander. Yeah, it's believe it's Hewan, but yes. Hewan. Right, amazing. There that you go. sounds amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Neve Algar, strength right. to strength. That like oh. strength to strength. Exactly. Um, yeah, she is great. I still slightly blame her for making me watch Raised by Wolves, but uh, I'm willing to let it go. <laughs> no, don't blame. Don't blame Neve for that. Don't blame your that. own sci-fi nerdery and <laughs> desire for it to be good. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's fair. Um, yeah, that's my. I've finished. That's news finished for me. Okay, thank you, Boyd. That is news well, finished. Clearly, Boyd, you want to move on. I can say Boyd has announced <laughs> the end of news. No, okay. Well, you know. <laughs> right, let's move on then to this week's reviews. First up this week, we have Angela Black on ITV, and this stars Joanne Froggart as the aforementioned Mrs. Black, who is in an abusive marriage with her scumbag husband, played very well by Michael Husband, only for things to get markedly worse when the mysterious Ed approaches her on the street to tell her that there's more going on than she realises. Beth, did you take the Angela Black? I don't know. Whatever. Did you like it? <laughs> just <laughs> given up at this stage. Given up. We've just been <laughs> completely given up. Yeah, so we've just watched the first episode of this. To my knowledge, this was the only episode available. Um, God, Joanna Foggett just doesn't have luck as characters, does she? She always has to play just like 
down and out on their luck characters and this is just no exception so yeah she's she's um wife to an incredibly abusive husband as you say played well by michael uh, heisman who was really charming and wonderful in the flight attendant and then has just gone and undone all of that really in this um in in this very kind of horrid abusive marriage they've got two sons and and he just plays every card in the book you know oh are you gonna leave us with this with my sons you know are you gonna break their hearts he kind of really puts her through the motions every time she tries there's a scene in it where she literally has her hand on the door to go and he coaxes her back in um and so they're kind of they're kind of wrestling with that she is a for want of a better word, helper at a dog sanctuary. So yeah, some kind of dog wrangler. It's unclear to me. Dog wrangler at, at, a, at a, yeah. Again, I've only seen the first episode, so can't really piece together too much about what her role is there, but she looks after dogs in a in a home. Um, and then, yeah, after an especially bad encounter with him, she's, she's you know, sussing out her next move when um, Samuel Adewami's character, Ed, arrives and he basically knows more about their situation than he's letting on. And he starts to kind of feed her clues about why she should be leaving him more than she already wants to. I guess it's the spoiler-free way of saying that. Yeah. Um, so from what I'm garnering from this is that it's a, it's a drama about domestic violence. It's very very grim, very bleak, very upsetting, but it looks like it's moving into genre territory. So there's an element of mystery to it. There's a kind of thriller aspect to it as well. Um, this episode was just very much setting up those parts. So it's, you know, it's about the foundations of this marriage. It's about this elusive character that comes up. Um, Samuel Edelwomi, by the way, amazing breakout actor. He was in a, a great film called The Last uh, Tree that came out a few years ago. And he's in a show coming out with um, Bookie Bucray from Rocks, which looks amazing. But yeah, so it looks like it's moving more into genre storytelling. But it spends so much time in this first episode setting up all the pieces. I, I'm not able to really weigh in on, on what happens next because that's that's the first episode they're laying out the characters they're kind of laying out what way it could be going there feels like an element of big little lies almost in this very suave moneyed slippery horrible man really having this kind of reign of terror over this poor woman and it feels like there might be some sort of revenge thriller in this but i can't tell which way it's going to go which maybe is, is a good thing but um yeah so far so good but I can't really comment much on on much more of that. Boy's yeah. probably seen all of it. <laughs> no, I haven't actually. No, I've only seen the first one as well. And I really, really wanted to see more, which is, I guess, you know, I think the last scene of episode one is it has a great um, little bit of. I, mean, I don't. I, 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 I'm I'm trying to avoid calling it a twist because. Someone, I, I said to me, someone. It's an escalation, isn't it? An yeah. escalation. Oh, that's great. Thank you. But also because people hate being told there's a twist. Is that a lot of people? You know, I, I think we talked about this a bit before. But someone had a real. Someone said to me the other day, "Oh, you got to stop saying when there's a twist in something because I like to be surprised that there is a twist." So anyway, <laughs> there's an escalation. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've just end... said there's a twist, essentially. To be yeah. fair, <laughs> I don't know there's a twist. I don't think it's I'd a twist. Like it's not a twist. I'd like to know there's just that gets me wanting to watch anything more. If I if there's a twist in something, I'm there. No, right. I can't really? have that because the thing is, if there's a twist, I'll wick, I'll f figure it out. Like it'll, I'll I'll be looking for it and I'll find it and it will ruin it. <laughs> Right, and yeah. that's what. So I need to not know it's there because if I'm not looking for it, I won't. I think it. I think it's because I'm so bad at working them out. I never. I don't. <laughs> rarely, you know, I'm terrible. Crucially, 
Yeah. We are not spoiling this because there is not a twist. It's not right. a twist. There's it's an escalation is what it's it is. So things ramp up towards the end. It's an escalation. <laughs> and it's a great escalation <laughs> narratively in, 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 in wanting, forcing you to want to carry on watching. So I absolutely yeah. will. Now, amazing. I am, what I am surprised about, this is a six-part series because I would say in the setup of this, it feels like more like a kind of four-parter to me or that, you know, that kind of two, three, four-parter. And I, it's I, moving so very quickly. Yeah, it's moving very quickly. And I can't, for the life of me, work out what they're <laughs> going to play out with five more hours. Yeah, so I'm fascinated by that. I'm actually fascinated by that, that there is so much more story to tell um, yeah. because it seems such a kind of instantly kind of interesting setup. I, it, it's, it's, we should say it's created and written by the Williams brothers, Harry and Jack, who, who of course, did the Missing, two series of Missing, Baptiste. Mm. And they also created Liar, which yeah. um, Gerard Frogger was in for ITU. They didn't write it. I think they just created it. Uh, but I think they are brilliant at this stuff. They are brilliant at thriller plot lines. And actually, the fact if anyone can work out, you know, do do a six hour thing about the story, they will. They will have lots of plot, as you say. So it kind of evolves from a drama because the depiction of the domestic violence is horrific, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrific, but not in the way that, like, you remember, you know, because Beth obviously mentioned Big Little Lies and the fact that they're, yeah. they're together and they've got two sons it felt like a Nicole Kidman's relationship with, with Alexander Skarsgård and that but yeah. crucially in that like it almost it very explicitly showed you the violence like it was very much yes. on screen in your face and very That's upsetting true. and this yeah. is much more implied and off screen doesn't make it any less horrible but yeah, it's not right direct like the camera pans away when he's yeah. like really you're right but, and you yeah, hear it true. you hear it all you don't see it um whether that's that true. makes it more or less upsetting is kind of hard to say and i, I do mm. know that i do importantly i know that the williams brothers consulted with um women's you know groups um about the depiction of the domestic yeah. violence which they had you have to do you know if you're gonna yeah. i think if you're gonna create a, a, a mainstream thriller or you're gonna create any fiction which deals with domestic abuse you have to that, you know, you have to get expert advice on that to picture on that's key. And they have done that. And I think that's fair enough. I always find in those kind of scenes, the most upsetting part almost isn't the violence itself. It's the lead up to it where you see mm. the danger, you know, you see the volatility like in yeah. his eyes and yeah. you yeah. feel it coming. And it's that sense of dread of what's yeah. almost inevitable at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and he's played out really well here. Michael Husband, who, as you say, you know, is is you know, he's quite fluffy in a lot of the roles he plays. Even in Game of Thrones, as Diana yeah. Horris, you know, he's a charming, sort of likable character. And this is just it's cold and chilling, and it's oh yeah, I found it very and hard his, to watch. Yeah, in places. and his turn from his charming. The very first scene is just to have a kind of dinner party with another couple. Yeah, and he's of yeah. course deeply charming in that scene. And then as soon as they leave, and he's he's this horrific, controlling, you know, man. That I think that 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 change, that instant change, he does brilliantly. So I do think, and she's Joan Frogger should not be underestimated. She's amazing at this stuff. Yeah, she's great. She, you know, she's yeah. she was brilliant in Downton Abbey. She's she brilliant was. in everything I've ever seen her do. She's just brilliant. Playing... I just want to see her have like a nice time I know, once in I know. a while. <laughs> it's funny. It's go on yeah, holiday but... or something. You know. Yeah, you're you're right. You're so right. But once someone, I think once someone in a role shows that they can do. Put you know, I mean, in in Downton, she was more put upon a lot, and had, I mean, she had yeah. to deal with a lot, um, but. She does suffering for the one about so well that you know she's always she's going to be given more and more roles where she has to fucking suffer. Isn't yeah. she? she she just yeah. does it brilliantly. Um, yeah, but I do think, and I think Samuel Underwomney is 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 also. I just I think it's a really clever premise and interesting and 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 and, fast, and I think you know I'm just totally drawn in by it. So I can't I can't be more complimentary than that. I I can't wait to watch the rest of it. 
really. Mm. Directed by Craig Viveros, who directed And Then There Were None, the um, the Agatha Christie adaptation um, by uh, Sarah Phelps, which was brilliantly, beautifully directed. So I think yeah. he's very talented. Yeah. He did um, War of the Worlds, didn't he, as well? The most yeah, recent War, so, one, which I, I really yeah. enjoyed that that first um, season. Yeah. Yeah, like it's 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 hard to without having seen a couple more episodes, it's hard to see where this is going. But I'm with you, Boyd. Like how they're stretching this over six hours, I have no idea because it got to the end of the first one. I thought this feels like it has one, maybe two more episodes in it. Yeah, I yeah, of, yeah. But yeah. maybe it's going to wrong foot us and go in a completely different direction. Um, yeah, but yeah. but it, it moved at such a clip during this episode. I felt like they carried they covered so much more narrative ground than I thought they would in a first episode. I was like, what have we got left to do? I feel like we're in the third <laughs> act at this point. Like, what's yeah. happening? Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't mess about. Like, you could have seen this done differently. Like, you could have covered that in multiple... Like, it's really... You could have slow burned your way through that and really dragged it out. Um, but clearly they have places to go uh, and they need to get there. So I'm certainly interested to see where it goes. But um, as of that, starts on ITV on Sunday, October the 10th at 9 p.m. Next up this week, we have The Larkins, a 2021 adaptation of the 1950s set story by H.E. Bates, perhaps, or rather definitely, better known for the David Jason Catherine Zeta-Jones adaptation, The Darling Buds of May, back in the 90s. Uh, this is, of course, set in the Kent countryside, and it's all about village life, jolly old England, and larks aplenty amid the hay bales. Uh, <laughs> that was chilling coming from you, James. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, Boyd, was this a little of what you fancy which is an excellent uh h.e bates reference just in case you Amazing. this this show right is is part this answers the, the list of the question doesn't it like forcing james to watch something like this, and, like, this i the, hate the, you for this i yeah, hate yeah, you for right. this so much the, the, the anguish from james was too, when i when i made it clear on the whatsapp group that i think we have to do the larkins you know it's like oh no. so this is basically another show we're forcing james to watch with successfully that you've never watched oh, in a million years because God. this is classic let's face it this is classic sunday night and it is so it's the show that goes out at eight o'clock before angela black this is the kind of oh, this is like a, like a palate cleanser like right. just, just <laughs> set you up for it this is the lovely warm family friendly show um itv rural you know um farming folk i mean the original darling buds of may in the early 90s was a massive gigantic view phenomenon it was getting 20 23 24 million people i believe watching it um J david jason it kind of he was already you know a mm. legend for Only Fools and Horses have you ever watched Only Fools and Horses by the way James <laughs> yes yes I have seen Only Fools and Horses <laughs> just checking and Pam Ferris and Catherine Zeta-Jones it was what Catherine mm -hmm. Zeta-Jones started yeah. in started out in um so it was absolutely legendary and it was very much gentle um Sunday night this version it stars Bradley Walsh, Joanna Scanlon in those roles, Sabrina Bartlett in the in the Catherine Zeta-Jones role. In the Catherine Zeta-Jones role. role. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it is, um, it's written by the guy who wrote The Durrells. So he is an expert on um, how to do this kind of stuff. It's written by Simon Nye, who wrote The Durrells. And he, Simon Nye is a, is a brilliant screenwriter. He's a brilliant TV writer. He's done loads of loads. He knows how to how to find the the the, the slight edges within loads of warmth and you know appealing mainstream 
comedy drama. That I think is one of his main areas of areas of expertise. And I have to say, he does it with this. I I enjoyed it. I you know, it's first episode. It's introducing loads of characters. I mean, the family alone has like about eight eight you know, <laughs> five kids, them, their mates, their neighbours, um, the their enemies, their poncy kind of snobby enemies, kind of people who think they're below them. There's a whole message about snobbery that is blatantly spelt out in one, in one scene. Um, there's a whole kind of interesting, like annoying, um, handsome guy who turns out to be a bounder and how he's upbraided is very satisfying. It's just a very beautifully looks great. You know, the whole thing feels like the whole film, the whole thing is shot in a like, golden haze of like, um, you know, of, of sunlight. It's very well cast. It's got an amazing cast. Like, even the, mo- yeah. the smallest characters, Peter Davison's in it, legendary Doctor X Doctor Who, playing the vicar, playing the slightly irritable, irascible vicar. Every single role is played by someone pretty damn good. And Joanna Scanlon w- alone does not appear in any old shit. I know people will say Bradley Walsh, you know, he's the he's the kind of quiz guy. I mean, of course, The Chase and Beat the Chasers are some of the greatest TV he knows to man. <laughs> so I love Bradley Walsh and I will back up Bradley Walsh in anything. And he's great in Doctor Who. And he shows again in this, he can fucking do anything. I mean, he's just great as this lovable old guy who's in this lovely relation, lovely marriage, this perfect marriage. Now, my own, my critiques are these. One, I think we can do with one scene of Bradley Walsh and Joe Scanlon in bed together, having a lovely time and like rubbing each other and being showing how what, what? A brilliant marriage they've got and how they love each other. I mean, they literally like caressing each other, you know, rubbing in bed. each it's other. About- <laughs> you can't do a bit. Yeah, that, I have to be honest, boy. In all the times we've been doing this podcast, at no point have you ever said this. This is a show that needs well, more scenes of them rubbing each other. Well, they do. Well, they are. Anyway. Are they cold? Yeah, clearly they're cold. Um, and it gets cold in rural, in rural, in rural environments. So there's like about three of these scenes. I'm like, yeah, we, could do, we, we don't need to, have, need to have that many of those scenes. We know how much in love with each other they are. That's fine. And there's a bit, and it's like a weird, slightly, I think partly because it has to introduce so many characters, this first episode it has a little bit of almost like it felt like a kind of schedule of i've ticked off that one ticked off that one and it felt like the transitions from scene to scene this is a slightly niggly point where i found a bit like clunky so like it was almost like oh and now we've got these characters we've got to introduce in a scene that hasn't really got that much connection to the previous one do you know what i mean it felt like a kind of mm. less of a storyline than a kind of collection of about 2021 short scenes introducing the characters that we're now going to be following for the next five or six episodes but Generally, I mean, it's pretty much as good a job as can be done when you decide to bring back the Darling Buds of May for the 2020s. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it feels definitely like it's been brought to more of a modern audience. Um, Because Abigail Wilson, she wrote a few episodes as well, and she did things like um, Jam in Jerusalem and Charlie, like lovely, just just more lovely stuff. Do you know what I mean? Just just so lovely. Lovely, lovely stuff. But it did feel... Like you say, I mean, it is it is early tea time on a Sunday viewing, but with a bit more oomph to it. Definitely, like you say, when when um, Sabrina Bartlett's character kind of gets her own back on on this scallywag, um, is is quite sweet and endearing. Joanna Scanlon, who's a housewife, because women were just housewives then, but you know, she's got her own traits and she's got like there's a really wonderful bit where she kind of embodies old Hollywood for a minute which was really sweet um it's not my usual bag I'm probably won't watch more of this but I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw it was um yeah a bit more oomph to it than than you you're kind of tepid Sunday night telly I think the only thing I will say about this is Sabrina Bartlett you might remember as being Arya Stark 
in Game of Thrones. Oh. Because she's the face of Arya Stark when Arya invades House Frey to uh, wow. give the uh, to give old Walder Frey the, the Stark's regards. And she goes wearing uh, Sabrina Bartlett's face. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's it. Uh, she was great in Bridgerton. I really liked her in Bridgerton. Um, and I think this is a great role. She kind of still carries that that kind of spikiness to her, but in a, in a really endearing way. So it's, it's a great role for her. I mean, it goes without saying, I fucking hated every minute of this. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to say to you, it's shit. What I'm going to say simply is that to coin Boyd's phrase when he was doing his uh, book reviews on the radio, it's not for me, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not yeah. for me. Yeah. And I think that's just the case. This is just not for me. It just felt trivial and stupid and annoying. <laughs> But it was also, and I wanted to punch everyone in it. It was just like, this is just nonsense. But equally, the feel of it, that kind of bucolic Kent countryside, just heartwarming, very light. You know, if you want to go make a cup of tea, you're not going to miss anything. You know, it's Mm. it's very nice Sunday evening viewing. Mm. So it's the kind of thing I can totally see you kind of settling into a warm glow of before as the black comes and slaps you in the face. You know what I mean? Like it's like (laughs) I, I, I get, I see why it exists. I just don't need it in my particular life myself. Um, I've never actually seen the Darling Buds, mate actual fact for you never oh, seen wow. a single episode of it no. probably for this very reason i just <laughs> yeah, wouldn't I mean, like it would at you? all well, I mean, yeah, yeah i was watching yeah. babylon 5 when you were watching the <laughs> darling buds of may so anyway this does as has previously been said come to itv uh beginning on sunday the 10th of october uh and this one is at 8 p.m the one thing i will also say about this show which i completely forgot to mention is what i thought was quite interesting is i've never seen the darling buds of may but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't the most diverse piece of television ever on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, I think they've made a real effort to be, oh, yeah. if not colourblind with the casting, to make the village seem a little bit less like a clan rally, which I think is commendable. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> that is true. Jesus. Yes, that so, is true. Yeah. Well done, Red TV, credit for that. that. Credit to ITV for that, yeah. Yes, um, this is, I, I, should, I should finally say this is no... The Durrells was fantastic, by the way. The Durrells was, I think, one of the best... Of all of these examples of this genre, the Daryl's Simon Nye's adaptation it had it had you had animals, cute animals. You had Corfu <laughs> looking amazing. You had brilliant <laughs> cast. So it's this is this isn't as good as the Daryl's, but it's perfect. Is this is this full? What is the name of this particular genre? This kind of like cozy, know, low stakes, Sunday heartwarming. Night, yeah, it's cozy, stakes. isn't it? <laughs> cozy. It's cozy vision. It's a it's a cozy, cozy. core. Yeah. Heartbeat, they, they all have, they, there is a whole list of like, they tend to be rural. They tend to have like, you know, nurses or cops or farmers. Yeah. Um, or all three. A bit period set. Yeah, period, mostly period. Eccentric characters, you know, lovable eccentric, British, very British, very British kind of outlook, you know. So yeah, there's a whole loads and loads of these. It's and it was the absolute, jolly old England thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's for, very, years, uh, for years, the, the nine o'clock, eight or nine o'clock Sunday night on ITV and BBC. Were dominated. Was Last by of this the stuff. Summer Wine in that slot as well? Yeah, I mean, no, Last of yeah. the Summer Wine was a half hour sitcom, which would be on early. No, I know, that, but it, again, that, that feels like a Sunday seven. night show, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it was on Sunday night. It was on Sunday yeah. night, 7, 7 30. Uh, that was that would precede the then the epic. Sometimes you get two hour long. Um, <laughs> we call the midwife now is kind of the BBC's version. I know it's not rural, but call the midwife has a lot of the kind of DNA of of this kind of. Although Call the Midwife has, I mean, I, I will stop banging on about this, but Call the Midwife has a has incredible social realism at its heart. But it's it's definitely like a huge, big, you know, mainstream, cute babies and 
very interesting feminist storylines. But yes, I hope my thesis, my TED talk <laughs> on something like YouTube TV ends there. <laughs> oh God. Right. Okay. Um, let's move on to the last show this week. And we have Among the Stars. This is Disney's new six-part astronaut series and uh, charts the final mission of astronaut captain Chris Cassidy as he and his crew head out into the big black. Uh, Beth, did Disney's space series go above and beyond? Another excellent reference for you there. I'm not going to validate you with that, but yes. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a documentary series. It's, um, yeah, I, I watched an episode of this and I, I did really enjoy it. So it begins, um, so a, a lot of it, obviously there's, there's parts of it that are, they takes place out in space, but there's also a lot on the ground as well. And I think that's really important because just the sheer like epicness that we're confronted with in fictional storytelling foundation being obviously a recent example, but like Ad Astra, all the kind of big spacey epic films that are coming out at the moment, that is, that is huge. It needs to give us something other than just really impressive visuals of space, even from a NASA perspective, like there needs to be more. So with this, it does, it does land quite firmly on the ground in places and gives more of an intimate look into the lives of NASA's workers for one of a, it doesn't sound very cool when you say NASA workers, but that's that's essentially what they are. It's like a, a gang of sort of 10 odd people that work in various positions at, at um, NASA and it's about their preparation towards this mission. And it is really interesting. Like it begins, the first episode begins with an incident where one of the astronauts gets liquid in his helmet I can't do anything about it. And it's one of those things where you, it sounds so obvious, but you don't really consider that. that if it, What happens if water gets in your helmet? You can't just wipe it off your face. You just have to kind of be in that water that's floating in your helmet. And he nearly drowns because there's water in his helmet and he can't do anything about it. And it kind of opens on this messaging. And, and one of the astronauts actually says it. He's like, you know, it, any mission could end horribly at any point and that's very nearly what happens here and and that is really really interesting to me kind of the obviously it's a, it's a risky job but the levels of risk that they're confronted with every time that they do something like this and the the intricacy of the of the um hierarchy there and, and who's helping on the ground who's helping in the sky exactly what is going on when one of these missions happens is really interesting and then it's got this whole you know, extra context around the fact that this is this this um, seasoned astronauts like swan song, like his last hurrah, basically. And um, yeah, that adds a little bit more to the storytelling. So it, it's really, really interesting, I thought. And I enjoyed that it took a more intimate angle. It wasn't just as I thought it was going to be big vistas and, you know, a lot of stuff that I wouldn't understand because I'm I'm not au fait with space. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> that sentence, <laughs> if anything, distresses that more. That is not something that I am, I am especially knowledgeable about. So I liked that it took the personal angle. Um, that's it's very romantic. I would love to see a dickhead astronaut. Like I'd love to see an astronaut who's just a bit of a shit. But then none of them are. Mm. Everyone's very succession in space is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to see 
a couple of bellends. Anti-gravitational yeah. bellends. But I think you've got a Nobel Prize winning physicist bellend, haven't we? Because I think this for me, I, I, I mean, I love this, but I, I was fully on board, you know, with the, as you say, that dramatic, which is very cinematic, isn't it? They have this cold mm. open, really, this incident, as you say, which is being filmed where we're seeing this guy with with the water filling up, the liquid filling up in his helmet, and, he's, and he and he and he could drown, and he's saved. And then you go, then it kind of goes, flashes forward five years or whatever. It's all very, it is like a movie. It's played out and directed, and you know, there's some beautiful footage of actual of the actual space, which half of you think is CGI, but it is it is real. But then there's a scene about halfway through, or even two quarters of the way through, when you've been introduced to the fact that the mission they're going on is to fix a thing, a, a, a something wrong with the alpha magnetic spectrometer. The AMS, which is a this billion, multi-billion dollar thing that is going to solve the secrets of the fucking universe. And the inventor of this thing is Professor Samuel Ting, who won the Nobel Prize in the 70s. And he's now 85. But he is a bit of a bellend. And there's this extraordinary <laughs> scene. There's this extraordinary scene, which is like out of a fucking film. It's a brilliant scene, isn't it? Where this, all these people, and you introduce them very cleverly, the, the astronauts, the people in charge of the spacewalk, where they're going to fix this thing, the, the people, the, all the NASA head honchos are there, this big group around this huge table with the food, and they keep cutting to the guy, Samuel Ting, eating crisps, which is so brilliant. <laughs> like, he's in the profile, and everyone's looking at him. It's brilliantly edited. It's yeah. brilliantly edited. They're all like, oh, he's having a lovely time eating these crisps. And meanwhile, he's <laughs> fucking laying down the law in an extraordinary mm. way and it is reminding me of those big set piece scenes you get in films you know often written by you know brilliant screenwriters but where you kind of like you know few good men or something where there's a big confrontation <laughs> of officials yeah. and someone's being really prickish and bellendy and he is and it's, this is real this is being filmed is, and i yeah. loved it i could not believe that scene i thought it was so brilliant and my theory is i don't know but this series is produced by Fullwell Seventy Three, which is the company co-owned by James Corden, and I do. I should come clean that I know those guys. Ben Turner, Derek <laughs> Steiner. I, I, I do. You know, um, I, I do know those people. But I think that I wonder whether, and I'm, I really want to find out. But make, that's that when they had that footage of that scene, it's so compelling and dramatic and unbelievable yeah. how how he's been with them that they then <laughs> decided to make the whole series around that because it's such a brilliant thing. They had this footage of this scene. Uh, yeah. Aaron Sorkin could have written it, couldn't he? Like, I was seriously. just going to say that. Yeah. It's interesting you said a few good men because there is a real Sorkin quality to yeah. it. Like just stuff that, you know, the, the minutiae of the conversations go completely over your head, but the intensity and the emotion behind what they're saying yeah. is very yeah. relatable. Yeah, and he um, keeps saying, making the point, you have to go through, you have to go through me if you're going to do anything with this with this um, thing and my AMS thing, my alpha magnetic spectrometer. Um, you have to. Uh, it's, it, so I cannot emphasise enough how brilliant that scene is. And I think you know, if you are Minganari, if you're not that interested in space, you know, or whatever, you wait. You, you're going to you're in for a treat with that. And I hope I hope the rest of the series. I've only seen that first. First episode has as many equally Aaron Sorkin esque um, <laughs> scenes because it's fucking astonishing. See, you saying this, obviously knowing how much I love Aaron Sorkin, makes me wonder if there's just something fundamentally wrong with me because I was so galactically, no pun intended, bored by this. Oh I cannot God. even begin to tell you. Did you get uh, to like, that scene? 
Well, you're talking about the scene. Like, I was just thinking, I was thinking, like, the action high point of this episode is a passive-aggressive boardroom meeting. And I was just like, I don't understand why I watch this. And I'm like, I'm not entertained by this. It's just, it's like, you know when you're in that meeting, when you're in a meeting, there's a whole bunch of people and two people have a go at each other and you just feel really awkward because you're st- like, I just felt really, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, mommy and daddy are fighting. Like, it was yeah. awful. I but felt it excruciating. Oh, I didn't know. But the thing is, so this starts... And I was like, okay, so going out on this EVA, this sort of space where I was like, this is like a really low energy gravity remake. Do you know what I mean? Where they're just sort of like sauntering outside. <laughs> but then suddenly it goes full event horizon where the music goes dum, 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 and it's like suddenly it's dark and it's become like a horror film like we're still in like the first two minutes of the episode i'm like what the fuck is going on and it's this thing with the water and the helmet and i was like it's like i'm genuinely feel like i'm watching a space horror film at this point yes. he's in the dark and he's trying to get back and i was like oh this bodes really well and then that stops and you're about five minutes into the episode and then you have like another what 40 odd minutes <laughs> Of just really tedious shit, I have to be honest. Like, it keeps flashing back to like this engineer guy who's chatting about spectrometers and whatnot. And I was just like, oh, it's only, really? It's only explaining how it's going to explain the, the origins of the universe. I mean, who I cares? just, I couldn't bring myself to care. I found it really unengaging. Look, hey, you know how much I love space, but there were no Klingons, there were no phasers, no one went at warp speed anywhere. Oh and I was just like, this is real space, and it's not very interesting and oh, also like i had a thing like in a best like chris Ca- chris cassidy captain chris cassidy like he's great as an astronaut i'm sure but he does a lot of the kind of heavy lifting in terms of like the voiceover work and it's just a little bit monotone i think it just doesn't bring a lot of energy mm. to, to sort of telling that story and a lot of it is like okay now we're watching astronauts in a swimming pool and they're like pulling at knobs and pressing buttons like that's great but ultimately it's still a guy in a swimming pool pulling at knobs and pressing buttons and that's not that exciting um and then there's and then i remember at the end there's a really labored metaphor about trains <laughs> where it's like well well the thing is when you're in a meeting with this physicist you've either gotta get on the train or you're gonna climb past the train or you're gonna watch the train go by and i was like guys this train metaphor let it go it's not working move on and he's just like clinging on he's gonna make this metaphor work i mean if aaron's still could have written that you'd be fully in favor of it. <laughs> probably probably yeah. well, did, I think like, for... didn't you learn there's all the stuff though along the way I think I think this is ridiculous because all the way I mean you know that you I, I had no idea all the stuff about how if you want to go aboard if you want to go into space and do a space you have to go on the Russian thing the Russian um spaceship basically um because they because the americans won't let you go on it they completely ditched the whole um space shuttle program which i know i yeah. kind of knew that that happened but but yeah. it really brings you home and they have to negotiate and he's waiting for a space a sea on board this, this ship to be able to go into all of that was fascinating and all the kind of detail of it, you you need to see for all mankind is interesting because the other thing that this is is literally is like a real the reality of for all mankind which you're has not its selling own, for all mankind um, well, to me by saying it's like this at all well, yeah, but most normal people find it really compelling. <laughs> I just, I mean, look, maybe, maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm just like a freak, and I need, you know, transporters and phasers and stuff to make space interesting. I don't know. Maybe if they had all been going to Babylon Five, it would have been a very different thing for me. But as it stands, I, I struggle to keep my focus during 
among the stars. However, however, your mileage may vary. And it, of course, comes to Disney Plus on October the 6th. And you can find out for yourself if that board meeting is all that Boyd made it out to be uh, at that point. Uh, but there's other things this week, aren't there, Boyd? There are other things this week. Yes. So The Walking Dead World Beyond, which oh, Boyd yeah. informs us of with a brackets <laughs> yawn after it, which I believe yeah. was code for he didn't want to review it on this week's show. So the okay. second and final season of the YA, sorry, Sophie Petzl, the YA Walking Dead World Beyond, uh, which is coming to an end, which I didn't keep up with because life's far too short. Uh, um, so that drops on the 4th of October. Miracle Workers, the Daniel Radcliffe show, which we didn't like when it first aired, but it's on its third season, and that comes to Sky Comedy on the 4th of October. Brassic with Joe Gilgan is back for its third season, which Terry loved to bits. That's on Sky Max on the 6th. No, I really liked it as well. Uh, yes, yeah. I do recall that you did. It was you mainly who didn't like it. because <laughs> It your, was me mainly your, that didn't like your it. Your Eunice. <laughs> yeah. Me, me being me. Um, yeah. Yes. At least my my Eunice will be uh, used to good purpose next week when we watch. Well, you. So yeah, that's, that's good. One. Very good. <laughs> Anything else that I've missed, Boydie? Uh, no, I think that's. I think you've pretty much covered it. Actually, yeah, that's it. Well What's done. Blair and Brown colon the New Labour Revolution, which is on BBC One? I on mean, Monday. the clue. <laughs> What I meant was, right. is it like a documentary yes. or is it like, like Robbie Coltrane? It's like Gordon no. Brown, like you know. No. It is like a documentary. Um, yeah, it's a documentary. I would, oh god, if that had been a drama, I'd have been absolutely all over. Oh, 100 percent. That's what I was thinking. Did we miss something amazing? No, but, no, okay, no, no, fine. no. That's a, it's a really good. I've seen the first episode. It's fascinating. Absolutely, because they Ooh. watch each other. The best thing about our neighbour brought it up that what they watch each other um what their testimony if you like to so tony blair gets interviewed about those years because famously they hate each other pretty much mm. and th- so tony blair gets his say and then gordon brown will be watching that what he says <laughs> and responding to it. it's really interesting Ooh. yeah it's quite it's quite fascinating but but we will get um we will get the monica Lewinsky's drama soon which is a drama that, that's yes that's true in a which is the new american really crime story yeah 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 From my which is already airing Ryan in the Murphy. states Mm. Film your yeah. favorite Ryan Murphy, yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Gonna warm up for that one. Uh, <laughs> right, well, uh, what is our pick of the week this week? I'll I'll go Angela Black, even though yeah. I feel like I need to be a bit more invested in the story. I am interested to oh, see where that's going to go. Yeah, Angela Black, definitely familiar. Yeah. Yes, it is the only show I, I, I voluntarily made through <laughs> to the end. So, yeah. yes, Angela Black, our pick of the week. Uh, and I guess that is then it for this week. Uh, this week's show, which was markedly shorter than last week's show, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I will leave up to you. But do tell us in the five-star rating that I encourage you to leave us. Huge thanks also to Ghostieho, who left a review last week saying, I'm leaving this review as James Dyer made a good point when he said there was no excuse not to. There isn't. And it's my favourite podcast. So let Ghostieho be your example then. Uh, do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, even, you know, if you're an Android person. Uh, as ever, find us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. And next week, uh, as we've already mentioned, we will hope to catch up with hero slash stalker Penn Badgley in the much delayed season three of You on Netflix. Uh, plus maybe uh, I don't know what you did last summer possibly which is coming to Amazon uh, possibly the new series of Cobra who even knows Uh, until then though pilot out